Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Today, um, we weren't really planning to go in this direction, but with everything that's been happening in the Middle East, I want to talk to you today about a Christian's posture on Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, if, if you have paid any attention to what's going on in the world, you know that right now there's just a lot of things that are happening in the Middle East, particularly in Israel. Right? Now, to understand what's going on today, to even to understand God's plan for the ages, particularly his plan for end times, we need to know where it all begins. Because God tells us right from the beginning where this is all going to go. All right. So I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 12, beginning with the first verse. Now, the Lord had said to Abram, remember, Genesis has one third of human history in that one book. One third of human history is in this book and the direction of humanity. And, and literally, we can even say God's end game is all revealed in the book of Genesis. Get out of your country from your family from your father's house to a land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. Now, we can just say, oh, that's the nation of Israel, and that would be true. However, the, the, the word great there means the, 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 the premier, above all others. Right? See, when Jesus returns, he is going to rule from Jerusalem over Israel. Right? He's going to rule with a rod of iron over all the nations. Right? But when Jesus returns, Israel will be the premier nation on the face of the earth. Not the United States, not Russia, not China. Israel is going to be the premier nation. Right? I will bless you and make your name great. I was in Barnes, no- Barnes and Nobles, I think it was in the year 2000. But there were three major magazines, secular magazines. Every one of them, the same week, had Abraham's picture on the cover. Now, listen, when you've been dead for 4,000 years and everybody puts your picture on the cover of their magazine, it's because your name's great. There's just no question about it. I will make your name great. right? I will bless you and make you a blessing. I will bless you, all right? And I will bless those who bless you. Now, this right here is God's foreign policy. It was God's foreign policy 4,000 years ago. This is God's foreign policy today. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you, right? It's talking about the Jewish people and Israel. And then literally a prophetic prophecy about the Messiah. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God's foreign policy is if you bless Israel and you bless the Jewish people, he says, I'll bless you. And if you curse Israel and curse the Jewish people, God says, I'm going to curse you. In fact, in Zechariah 2 and 8, this is what he said. He says, for he who touches you touches the apple of my eye. 
Now, the apple of your eye is a euphemism for the pupil of your eye. I'm even just had a snowflake in your pupil. It's just like when something happens to the pupil of your eye, everything suddenly is on hold. All right. And all you're dealing with is what's going on in that eye. Right. And God is saying, you touch the Jewish people and you touch Israel. You just put a stick in my eye. And I just want to tell you, it is not wise to put a stick in God's eye. It just is not. So God makes these promises to Abraham. A few years pass and Abraham basically says to God, he says, how am I going to know? Genesis 15, verse 7. Then he said to him, that's God to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I'm going to inherit it? And he, God, said to Abram, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, again, when, when we hear that, especially that part about the goat, I'm thinking barbacoa. Let's have some barbecue. Right? But that is not what Abraham thought. <clears throat> when he said this, God said this to him, he knew exactly what was going to happen. They were going to make a covenant. Now, the tradition was that you would have altars. You would take the animals, divide them in half and put them on the altars. Um, There is going to be blood everywhere when you do this. And then what they would do, let's just suppose this is the other altar. They would walk and they would literally, they would make figure eights through here and they talk to each other as they're doing this. And they make promises to each other as they're doing this. Now, most people today enter into one covenant in their entire life, right? And that's the covenant of marriage, right? And remember that is until death do us part, right? And you make promises to each other when you're standing there at the altar, right? Well, God and Abraham are going to enter into a covenant. Now, the Bible tells us as the sun is setting that Abraham falls asleep. Now, this is like you, you, you just won $5 billion and they're bringing you the check and you fall asleep. Right? You don't. This is a supernatural sleep. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between the pieces. So Abraham is sleeping, right? An oven and a torch. They're passing between the pieces, right? They're walking through these pieces. They're making promises to each other. And on that day, the Lord God made a covenant with Abram. One of these, right, represents God the Father. In fact, is God the Father, right? The other one is representing Abraham, right? And we'll see who he is in just a moment. And the promise is made. He makes the the, the covenant and he says, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, to that of the Kenites, the Kenyazites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Pepsilites, the Rephaims, all this land. God says, I'm going to give to you. So the apostle Paul is talking about this in the book of Galatians, right? And this is what it says. Now to Abraham... And to his seed, 
were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, multiple, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Okay, so who's walking in between the pieces? God the Father and God the Son are walking through the pieces and making promises to each other. God the Son is the seed of Abraham according to the flesh. All right? So this promise is God the Father to God the Son. And literally what God does is he gives Abraham a land grant. Right? He says, this is going to be your property. This I give to you. How many of you know, because he's the creator, he can give it to whoever he wants to give it to. And literally, Israel is the only nation on the face of the earth that has a divine land grant. Right? So we got a map here of Israel. So let's take a look. Here's what Israel looks like today. Can, I'm sure it's blown up. Oh, there it is right there. Okay. There's Israel. Here's the West Bank. All right. Now, and down here is the Gaza, where all that problem is, that Gaza Strip down there. Okay. Now, both of these, and this will be important right as we end, all right, were the United States and the international community, but more the United States than anybody, pressured Israel into giving the Gaza Strip and what we refer to as the West Bank. All right? Now, in West Bank, you're going to notice there's this place called Hebron. All right? That is where Abraham is standing when God makes this promise. He says, I give you this land, all right? West Bank, right? Hebron is where uh, David was king for the first seven and a half years before he moved the capital to Jerusalem, right? Uh, several years ago, uh, we had a, uh, a group from church in Israel, and we wanted to go to Hebron. Now, it's West Bank, it's Palestinian territory, right? They said, well, you can't go. I said, but we want to go because that's where Abraham's buried. That's where David was king. We want to go. So they made us get a bulletproof bus. All right. And we're going, we got a couple of bulletproof buses and we're going into the, the West Bank. And it was a good thing we did. Uh, they didn't shoot at us, but there were, it had snowed in Israel and they put rocks inside snowballs and they pelted our buses. All right. It, it is very hostile towards Christians and Jews. But again, we're the ones that have given, made, made them give up that land. And every time they, give, they negotiate and give land for peace, they lose. Every time they fight, they get more land. Just thought I'd let you know that. All right. So God gives this land grant. You just see, right? Put that back up just for a second. That's what, oh, there it is. Oh, there's Israel today. Here's what God promised. How I many you know there's a bit of a difference? Okay. When Jesus returns, that is what Israel will look like. Right? And remember, he will rule from Jerusalem. Right? And he will rule, the Bible says, with a rod of iron. Right? But that's what Israel will look like when Jesus comes back. You say, is that really going to happen? Jesus has risen from the dead. Acts chapter 1, the disciples, this is their first question. He says, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus' response, that's verse 6. Jesus' response, it's not for you to know the time or the season that the Father has put in his own authority. 
He said, but you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus didn't say that's not going to happen. He just said, don't worry about the time because there's some other stuff that's going to happen first. All right. So one of the most significant prophetic events that has happened in my lifetime and in the lifetime of some of you was ha- happened in Jerusalem in 1967. So Jesus says this, Luke chapter 21, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. When is it going to, until when? Well, Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles, right? June 6, 1967, for the first time in over 1,800 years, the Jewish people take control of Jerusalem, right? Uh, in my office on the other end of the, of the building, I've got a picture. I don't know if they've got a picture of my picture, but this picture is in my office. And it's the, the four branches of the Israeli army all getting to the Wailing Wall, June 6, 1967. Now, this is, is the, the retaining wall from the temple, right? Referred to as the Wailing Wall, where people today, you go and there can be hundreds and there can even be thousands of people up on that wall that are praying, right? Because God said, you know, I, my focus will be on that place. So there, there they are, right? In fact, when this happened, there were still snipers firing at them. And they just run to that wall, right, and begin to pray. Well, it, notice it says the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The times of the Gentiles. Now, this really goes to Daniel's prophecy of 70 weeks. And um, I'm hoping in the next month that we're going to be able to take an entire Sunday. And we're going to talk about Daniel's prophecy of 70 weeks. And out of the book of Revelation where it talks about the, the, the eight kingdoms and the seventh or the eighth is one of the seven, right? And how that's where the Antichrist is going to come out of. Now, we're going to talk about that, and you do not want to miss it. And I think we will even show it online. No, I'm just kidding. We'll show it online. Romans chapter one. Then I say, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I am also an Israelite, the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Again, Romans eleven eleven. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Again, this goes to the prophecy of Daniel's 70 weeks. In Romans 11, verse 25, it happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles, the end of of that 70 weeks, when the 69th week is done, the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, all right? And what Paul goes on to say is, is all Israel will be saved. All Israel will be saved. So I was brought up, and most of us, I would dare to say at least 90% of us that are here present, you were brought up and you were taught, if you were in church or the church that you went to, had what we refer to today as replacement theology. And here's what happened. It goes way back, right? Uh, You can find it. John Calvin had it. Martin Luther had it. 
um, and really became very prominent in the church in the fifth century. So in 410, Rome is sacked, right? As a result, the Bishop of Hippo, Augustine, who most of us has heard of as St. Augustine, wrote a book called The City of God. It's a large book and it's very boring, right? However, that book became the most influential book in Christianity for a thousand years, which is why it's important, right? And in that book, right, basically Augustine says this, uh, the the church has replaced Israel. Now, the reason was this. You looked around and you think, man, Israel hasn't been around for over 300 years. And it's impossible for them to ever go back to their own land. So it must be that the church now has all the promises that God made to the Jewish people. That's what they thought. That's what John Calvin thought. That's what Martin Luther thought. That's what the reformers all thought. They looked around and they said, look, there has been no Israel for almost 1,500 years. And it is impossible for the Jewish people to ever go back to their land. So all those prophecies about Israel are just to us, the church. All right. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says that we don't give any offense to the Jew, to the Gentile, or to the church of God. Jew, Gentile, church of God. Prophecy in the Bible. Some prophecies are to the Jews and to Israel. Some prophecies are to the Gentiles, right? And those are Gentile nations. You can read about them, right? And some prophecies are to the church of God, right? And the prophecies that were to Israel, right? You may be able to take and say, here's an application for the church. But every one of those prophecies that God made to Israel is going to come to pass. It's going to come to pass, right? God the Father and God the Son walked through blood, made a covenant, and made promises, right? And he promised, I've given you this land, right? So the result has been this, that most of us were brought up to believe that the church has replaced the Jewish people in Israel. That is not true. Again, we just took, read a few scriptures from Romans chapter 11. That is not true. And besides that, all you need to do today is read a newspaper or look at a map. Because God did what it seemed to be impossible for God to do. That was bring the Jewish people back to their own land and establish them again as a nation. For all intents and purposes, Israel ceased to be a nation in 70 AD. They did not become a nation until 1948. 1,878 years. They were not a nation. There has never been a people that were separated from their land for 200 years that went back to become a nation. Let me give you a few Bible prophecies. Ezekiel chapter 36. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Verse 33. Thus said the Lord God, on that day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. Now, if you go to Israel today, almost without exception, every settlement 
is on the ruins of an ancient city, which is what God said would happen. He said, the desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of those who pass by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Israel today produces more food per acre than any nation on the face of the earth, bar none. The, the, the most productive dairy farms in the world are not in Wisconsin. You know where they're at. They're in Israel. The most sought after flowers in the world because of the brightness of their colors, not compared anywhere, are from Israel. Right? In fact, uh, you, you, you go to, to Europe today, go to Germany and wake up and uh, you're at a banker's house and, and you go for breakfast. Almost for sure, the flowers on that table, they came from Israel. The orange juice you're drinking, Haifa oranges, all right? The best, the sweetest in the world, all right? The vegetables you're eating, many of them came from Israel today, all right? They are a, they are a net exporter. Um, I remember I was there in 1983, all right? We're driving down this highway, and, and our tour guide says, uh, look out the window. This is where David's army fought against um, Absalom's army. Now, I remember the story, all right? The Bible says the forest is so thick, it kills more people than the battle. And the battle killed 20,000 people. So the forest killed more than 20,000, right? And there is not a blade of grass. It is totally desolate at that time. Listen to this. This is Mark Twain. He went in uh, 1687, and this is what he wrote. The soil is rich enough, but is given wholly to weeds. A desolation is here that you cannot even imagine can grace or pump the life and action. We never saw a human being on the whole route. As we pressed towards Jerusalem, the further they went, the hotter the sun got, the more rocky and bare and repulsive and dreary the landscape became. There was hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere. Even the olive tree and the cactus, those fast friends of worthless soil, have almost deserted the country. Jerusalem is lifeless. Right? 150, 60 years ago, right? But today, man, the, the Jewish people are producing more food per acre, again, than any nation on the face of the earth. They have planted hundreds and hundreds of millions of trees, right? And that lamb that is desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. Even back in 1983, we're down in the Nieve in the desert, and we stop at a strawberry farm, right? It... I could barely put three strawberries in my hand. They were that big, all right? They, they were like little, little watermelons, all right? We, we go to the market in Jerusalem, and I am not kidding when I tell you the cabbages were this big. It's just unbelievable, the, 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 the produce that is produced. Well, that's what God said would happen. He said, they'll cook that place that was desolate, it will be like the Garden of Eden. Ezekiel 38. Now, Ezekiel 38, 39 is the Gog-Magog War, or the exact, sometimes it's referred to as the Ezekiel 38, 39 War. All right, but this is what God says. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, Prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and I'll turn you around. Now, Bible scholars are not in agreement right, on who this is exactly. Some people believe this is speaking of the ruler of Russia, and others say it's Turkey. Right? And uh, if we get to talk some more about this, I'm going to, I think, give you some light on who this is speaking about. But in verse 8, it says, After many days you will be visited, 
in the latter years. When is this going to happen? In the latter years, in the last days, other translations say. When is it going to happen? Latter years were the last days. You will come into a land of those brought back from the sword, gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which have long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. What is it talking about? It's talking about Israel being in their own land in the last days. God says, I'll bring them back to their own land in the last days. Again, 1,878 years, Israel did not exist, but it does today. Ezekiel 37, uh, the chapter about the dry bones. If you went to Sunday school as a kid, we used to sing that, that song about the bone, the dry bones, right? And the hip bone connected to the knee bone and the knee bone connected to the foot bone, right? Well, the prophet is sees a valley full of dry bones. And God says to him, prophesy. Prophesy to those bones. And the bones come together. And he says, prophesy again. And they get flesh. And there's prophesy again. Right? And the spirit comes in them. And this is what God says. Those bones are the whole house of Israel. Right? They were dry. They were dead. It seemed impossible for Israel to ever become a nation. But God said, no, they're going to become a nation. Thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. Ezekiel chapter 37. So Ezekiel 35, written 2,700 years ago. I want you to listen to this. Because you've had an ancient hatred. And have shed the blood of the children of Israel by the power of the sword at the time of their calamity when their iniquity came to an end. The ancient hatred that's mentioned here is the hatred of the Jewish people. Now, what we hear today on the news is that all that people want is for Israel to leave the land, right? And that's why there's all this tension. That is not true. The hatred of the Jewish people was ancient 2,700 years ago. We have Pharaoh who tried a genocide on the Jewish people. We have Haman who tried a genocide on the Jewish people. Uh, Just in, in, in the last 100 years, we had Hitler try a genocide on the Jewish people. They didn't have the land at that time. Right? It's an ancient hatred. It's the hatred of the Jewish people. Right? And God called it an ancient hatred. It is demonically motivated. Say that again. It's the devil that hates Israel and the Jewish people. God has made promises to them. And the devil has thought, if I can eliminate the Jewish people, God cannot fulfill his word to the Jewish people. Right? But God said, they're the apple of my eye. Somebody said, well, we don't like Jews because they killed Jesus. Well, this is what the Bible says. Who was delivered up because of our offenses. You want to know who the Bible says killed Jesus? You did, and I did. That's who he was delivered up because of whose offenses? Ours. Not because of the Romans, not because of the Jewish people. He was delivered up because of our offenses. And he was raised because of our offenses. Justification. Uh, 
Psalms 83 says this. Oh God, don't keep silent. Don't hold your peace or be still. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their head. They lay crafty plans against your people, consult together against your treasured ones. And they say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. How many of you know we're hearing that right now? Right now. For they conspire with one accord against you. Against who are they making an agreement? Against God. Against you, they make a covenant. The tents of Edom, the Ishmaelites, Moab, the Hagarites, Jerbal, Ammon, Amalek, Philistine with the inhabitants of Tyre. Asher also has joined them. They are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Right. Due to them is to Midian, as to Sisera and Jabin at the river Kishron, who were destroyed at Endor, who became dung to the ground, and make their nobles like Obed and Zeb and their princes like Zenuba, Z- excuse me, Zeniba and I think you have to be spirit baptized, speaking tongues to get this other guy right. Today, we can look and we can see that ancient hatred. Hitler had it. Pharaoh had it. Hamas has it. The PLO has it. The squad has it. The Muslim Brotherhood have it. But it says, make them like Ziba and Zabnuah. Well, we find when they were conquered in the book of Judges, chapter 8 and verse 26. Now, the weight of the gold earrings he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. Besides, this is important, the crescent ornaments, the pennants, the purple robes, which were on the kings of Midian, and besides the chains that were around the camel's neck. Now, what I want you to, to catch here is the crescent ornaments. Um, when Mohammed got to Mecca, a a structure that is still there today, been been, uh, reworked many, many, many times, called the Kaaba, had 360 gods in it. And he destroyed those gods. However, he kept one, right? Um, Was worshipped in part by what is referred to today as the Black Stone, which is right in the Kaaba on the outside structure of the structure, right? Where people go by and touch it, all right? But the one that was left is Allah, all right? Now, Allah was and is the moon god, right? We've got a picture here of a mosque. And anytime you find a mosque that's been built, this is what you're going to find on top. You're going to find a crescent moon, right? Now, when they conquered these kings, what did they have? Crescent ornaments. These were moon worshipers, right? And today, Islam is, let me put it this way. Allah is not the God of the Bible. Allah is the moon God. He was the moon God. He is the moon God, right? But what the prophet Asaph, now, by the way, Asaph, who wrote Psalms 83, was, uh, how we say this, David's praise and worship leader, right? He was a psalmist. And he was a prophet, and he prophesied about the last days. And he mentions in here that the capturing and destruction of these kings is what it's going to be like in the last days, right? And I think it's very, very interesting that you find the crescent ornaments, the worship of the moon at that time, and you're still going to find it today, right? Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus is Jewish, 
Mary and Joseph are Jewish. All of the disciples are Jewish. In fact, every one of your Bible heroes, they're Jewish. David's Jewish. Abraham is Jewish. Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Josiah, David, excuse me, David, Paul, Barnabas, every one of them is Jewish. And God will judge nations, not people and nations, all right? If people curse Israel and the Jewish people, right, God judges them. But the purpose of Armageddon, how many of you have seen some movie or heard about Armageddon coming? All right. The purpose of Armageddon is to judge nations on how they've treated Israel and the Jewish people. Joel chapter 3. Behold, in those days and at that time when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and I'll bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, the valley of Jehoshaphat is also referred to as the valley of Jezreel and the valley of Armageddon. I will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage, Israel, whom they've scattered among the nations, and they have also divided up my land. The purpose of Armageddon is to judge nations on how they treat Israel. Now, as the people of God, we love Israel. We love Jewish people. We pray. For the Jewish people, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Right? But notice they've divided up my land. The land has been divided because of international community pressure against Israel. The number one pressure comes from the United States, and that is not a good thing. We need to pray. We need to pray for mercy. Pray for mercy. Right? Uh, let me just end right here, skipping about 15, 20 pages. Zechariah 14 and verse 4. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Right? Jesus is coming back. Right? First, Jesus will go to Bozrah, which is in Jordan. Right? Look at the book of Isaiah. Right? And he comes to Jerusalem. By the time he comes to Jerusalem, the Bible says that his robe is covered in blood. Right? And his feet will stand on that Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east and on the west. The Mount of Olives will be divided in two, making a large mountain valley. So Jesus is going to come back to Jerusalem. He's going to rule and reign in and from Jerusalem. And in the book of Zechariah, it not only talks about how Israel is the apple of his eye, right? But it also talks about when Jesus returns, that all the nations are going to be gathered together against Israel and against the Jewish people, right? Today, as we look in at what's going on, there is quite a bit of sympathy for the Jewish people who've been attacked because of all the atrocities that have taken place. But the day is going to come right, when the, those people that are standing with Israel are going to be few. They're going to be few. 
But who they need to be is they need to be the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those of us that are believers. And remember, our Messiah is Jewish. Every author of your Bible is Jewish. Right? And God is going to judge the nations based on how they have treated the Jewish people. Right? Um, the anti-Semitism that is rising up in the world today is nothing but a demonic manifestation. Zechariah 12, verse 3, let me close with this. And it will happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all people. Right? God says the world's attention is going to be on that little nation of Israel and that city of Jerusalem. Right? You, you may not have, have known this, but there are the only place in the world where there are more news correspondents than in Jerusalem is New York City. Jerusalem has more news correspondents than Beijing. Man, Beijing has got like five times the population of the entire nation of, of Israel. But Jerusalem has more correspondents, uh, more than Frankfurt, Germany, more than London, more than L.A., more than, more than Beijing. Any place you can name. You say, why is that? Because God said in the last days, he'll make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all nations. It's just this little, little bitty country. But you can't, you can't look at the news and not find Jerusalem and find Israel in the news. He said, God said, I'm going to take people's attention and I'm going to focus it on Israel and on Jerusalem in the last days. And he says, and all who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces. How many of you know there's a bunch of people today trying to heave it away? Nations. Uh, how can we say this? Terrorist groups trying to heave it away. They'll be cut in pieces. Though all the nations of the earth be gathered together against it. It doesn't matter who's against them because God is for them. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. Jesus is coming back. He's come, the Bible calls Jerusalem the city of the great king. He will rule and reign from Jerusalem. Right? And Jerusalem and Israel have a tremendous prophetic future. Right? And we're going to talk about that sometime, hopefully, in the next few weeks. But right now, would you bow your heads for just a moment? Uh, Jeannie and I read a quote by the, the great mathematician, Luis Pasqua. And this was his quote. He said, there is a God-sized vacuum in every person. And no created thing can fill that vacuum. You see, more stuff, more money, anything you can think of cannot fill this vacuum that's on the inside of you, this hole. Because it's a God-sized hole. Just like a well was made to swim in the ocean, an eagle to fly in the sky, you were created to have a relationship with God. And until you have that relationship, you will be looking, you will be searching, you'll be trying to find something to fill that. But it's only when you connect with the Creator, the Redeemer, Jesus, that you will have the purpose, the fulfillment that you're looking for. And I know in a group this size, 
There's people you've lived for God for decades. But this is what I know. There's some of you that are here that at one point you were living for God, but somehow you drifted away from God and you need to come home. And there's others, you're here, and you don't know where you stand with God. Or you say, well, I, I know I'm not right with God. This is what the Bible says in Romans 10, 13. It says that whosoever, that's you, will call on the name of the Lord. And we are going to call on the name of the Lord the way the Bible shows us to in just a moment. And this is the promise. will be saved. If you will pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. You're going to be a part of his kingdom. And he's going to come in and he's going to fill that vacuum that's on the inside of you. So I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer with me. Pray it out loud from your heart. I want you to make these words your own. So get ready. Right, we're going to pray this out loud. Just say, oh God, out loud. Oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. And I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. Victorious over death, over sin, and over the devil. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I receive Jesus and all that he did for me. And I'm going to live for him every day. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer that my past is gone, that you receive me and I'm a part of your family, a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.